Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Welcome to the podcast that wasn't going to be a podcast, but then got to be one after all. I'm Karen Stiller, and I interviewed Anne Voskamp for the print issue of Faith Today. And then I enjoyed the interview so much, and it was recorded, that we asked if we could share it on the podcast as well, and Anne graciously agreed. All of this means that the audio might not be perfect, and that we talk about lambs and a few other things that might not flow perfectly, but it's worth it. Anne is a New York Times bestselling author who lives and writes on a working farm in Ontario. She also wrangles lambs, as I mentioned. Her latest book is Waymaker, Finding the Way to the Life You've Always Dreamed of. You're keeping well and enjoying book launch season? What an interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, actually, this one is very different than Broken Way. Broken Way was a book tour that took you all the way across the States. But we're in a different time and season now after COVID. So it actually, it's a very good question, Karen. It's very different. It allows me to be home in a way that I'm really, really grateful for. Yeah, That's good. That's good. Totally different. My, it's hard to remember back what that was all like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you'll get out later on into the cycle even a bit. Yes. I I had uh, October, I was out for a good three weeks and I was out for the first week of March. I was out and then I'm out again in a week and a half for a bit. But I think the world is different. We can connect with people virtually in a way that was different five years ago. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't have to be so so distant anymore. But I know your time is obviously in demand (laughs) by children and lambs and other people. By children and lambs mostly. Yes, yes. So I've read uh, Waymaker. Um, It's beautiful and transparent. And it struck me, I mean, it's in many ways a book about suffering and finding our way through it. One quote that really struck me was, you know, the suffering savior, savior wants nothing less to be with us. And suffering is the way he is for us, near us and in us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has no other way, not because he doesn't love us, but exactly because he does. Why does suffering have to be the way, Anne? No, Karen. <laughs> so hard, so hard. We don't want suffering to be the way we actually kind of at least I did write about the beginning of Waymaker I really believe that I wouldn't have said it that way perhaps but at the subtext of my life was that if you went to if you did everything right you should have you should be able to avoid the way of suffering mm. it, I mean it's the way it's the way consumerism actually works if I buy this if I do this if I take this my life should be good. And with the way social media is, if I, I can put this filter on, I can frame things this way, I should have a lovely, beautiful life. And that isn't the way of Jesus. This is my father's world. This is an upside down kingdom. And when we, as believers, we are living in Jesus' reality, And he is the suffering savior. It is upside down. We think the way through is that the easy way, when ultimately Jesus, just deeply convicted, actually, Karen, Jesus took the Via Dolorosa. Jesus takes the way of suffering. Why did I think I could follow the way of Jesus and not have to take 
the Via del Rosso. Like, oh, I, there are no, there are no roads through that don't go through Gethsemane. And I want to get to resurrection and empty tomb and redemptive stories, forgetting <laughs> that all roads, all roads don't lead to Rome, all roads do lead through Gethsemane. And in, in that place of Gethsemane literally means like the oil press, we are pressed in. And as we are pressed in and poured out, that pressing in is like the press of the narrow way. And the narrow way leads to the fulfilling life. Sometimes you can buy into the, the cultural narrative and miss out the truth that the easy way is actually an empty life. The hard way, the narrow way is the most fulfilling life. And when you speak to people who've gone through deep, deep suffering, almost incomprehensible suffering, suffering that we wouldn't wish on anyone and we wouldn't want for ourselves, there is a profound encounter with God in those places that they couldn't encounter him in any other place. Um, which we which we think is such a beautiful thing, but we think, oh, can I get to that encounter with God without having to take that road through Gethsemane, without having to take the Via Dolorosa? So I think, um, can we, as followers of Jesus, people who take the way of Jesus, accept that the way always involves suffering, and it's not because you did something wrong. Mm. Suffering is the way of being human in a broken world. Yeah. You write so well also about attentiveness, um, mm. which caught my attention, mm. I think, as, as a writer, because I think I'm trying to learn to pay attention, but I I'm don't- right all... there with you as writers, <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. Here yes. Uh, but I don't know that I've often seen attentiveness um, as mm. sort of presented as, as a way, like part of your sacred compass, yeah. as a way of living through suffering. So- yeah. Tell me more about why attentiveness is so such an important part of this. We can't live a life of devotion without living a life of attention. And that a life of in, attention means you have to li live a life of intention. Mm. It requires intentionality, um, which means you kind of have to wake up all of the time, Karen. Do we... And it's, it's that, that requires, um, it requires <laughs> energy when we're tired. We, it's, we want to get to where we want to go. And we think we can do that blithely instead of with intentionality. So to really see, um, to see the hand of God is going to require me to first be still and know that he is God and then be attentive to what is happening around me. I think secular culture would, their language around that might be more like mindfulness, where I think as, as believers, we are being, we as believers, I was reading actually last night in the Psalms, over and over again, we as the children of God, the extended people of Israel, we say, God, pay attention to my cry. Be attentive to my prayers. Where are you, God? Where are? Be attentive to me. But how attentive am I 
to him. <laughs> I have felt deeply, last night just lingered long. We have this Lenten, 40-day Lenten wreath on our table in the living room. So I put a candle in every night through Lenten, sit in the candlelight a little bit longer, and there's this little wooden silhouette of Jesus carrying his cross, which reminds me, Karen, am I on the Via Dolorosa? Am I picking up my cross and taking the weight of Jesus? And just sitting there thinking, how much do I I want you to pay attention to me, Lord. Do you not see me? Do you not see where I am? But how much have I paid attention to him throughout the day? How, how much have I stilled my own soul? I always thought, Darren, that abide meant that you had to stay in one place. <laughs> but abide actually means that you are staying in on the way. So even, even though you are moving forward during your day, you can have an interior stillness. You can have interior, you can be abiding in him, him as your home, your abode. And what does it look like to pay attention to him? And you know what? We want God, my maker talks about, we want God to divide our waters and make a way forward. But how much in my own life do I have divided attention and my attention isn't on him? If I really want God to divide my waters. May I please, Lord, by your grace, have undivided attention on you. And really, that's what you see in the New Testament. How do you walk on waves? Keep your eyes fixed on him. Fix yeah. your attention on him. And when we, we look to the right or the left, we look to the waves, we will sink. And it's in fixing our attention on him that interior things in our world are fixed. I think sometimes, can we think that if I fix my attention on you, Lord, I have some kind of transactional relationship with you, so you should fix things in my life. And the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is that you are safe, not that your circumstances are safe, not that you are physically safe, but you are always, always, always soul safe. You can trust him. So it's fixing our attention on him, fixes things interior, our interior compass our inner compass is turned towards him. So regardless of what falls away in our life, regardless of what kind of suffering is on that Gethsemane road, we know we are soul safe in him. And a lot of our understanding comes for most of us, um, maybe not even in the moment, but in looking back and seeing that. And mm. in this book, and I've already seen some of the promos about it, and they're saying, you know, the, mo the most sort of vulnerable book from you yet, which I agreed. I mean, you write about your wedding night and mm. the early days of your marriage. And I wondered if you could talk about some of the courage required to do that, to write that transparently and honestly. You have very, very good questions. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure you've been asked a million questions. <laughs> questions are very, very thoughtful. For five years, Karen, between Broken Way and Waymaker. There's a life that is lived in the middle of that. But also, Karen, I did not want to have to write the whole story. It's hard, very, very hard to write the whole story. We all do each other a disservice when we don't tell the whole story. And... I believe if you're going to follow one who says he is the word, 
and you are going to pick up a pen metaphorically or a keyboard um, and write words, you too must pick up a crossing, come to die. You too must see it as, a, as an altar to lay yourself down as a living sacrifice and tell a whole story so the reader knows they're not alone in their own suffering, they're not alone in their own stories, that the reader feels deeply seen and known and safe, that they are entering into a story with brokenhearted people too. Our companions that we're on the way with should also be limping like we are limping because it shows that we are all leaning on um, the wounded healer himself who shows us his wounds. Even when Jesus is resurrected, he still has his scars on his hand. He still shows his scars. I am not the hero (laughs) in Waymaker in any capacity. I am revealing a lot of very deep scars and wounds that, in all honesty, would be a lot easier (laughs) not to share. But I don't, I don't think, honestly, I mean, I think 1,000 Gifts, Broken Way, Waymaker, they're all in the same trajectory. (laughs) Broken Way is so much about if we wear masks and we don't share our brokenness with each other, just like Jesus broke the bread, we all starve alone in isolation. Waymaker tells my brokenhearted story. And 1,000 Gifts is so much about how do you live a life of gratitude in the midst of suffering. Waymaker is unpacking when I want a way through, what I ultimately need is a way of life. I need a rhythm of life, a cadence to my days that follows the cadence of the way himself. And that D in sacred is doxology. You always finish again in gratitude. So in some ways, and... The sea of sacred is cruciformity, which is really the heart of the broken way. How do I live a surrendered life that is broken and given out into the world and live with intentionality around the posture of Jesus, living given? Um, So sacred really is an encompassing of a journey I've been on for a long time, I guess, Karen. Yeah. It strikes me with this third book, and Mm. I'm assuming there might be others to come. (laughs) I mean, you have created a body of work now. I think with three, it's a body. <laughs> wow. And I had never thought of that. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And so what is the, and you were just talking about those different themes and, the, and I do see a, there's clearly a trajectory. How do you define mm. or what is mm. the flavor? What is the big flavor mm-hmm. of your, of your work? Do you think that body, what is your theme? I mean, I, I feel like you've kind of answered that but no that's a good question I think um even when I think about what do I what am I I don't (laughs) never think about like I don't think in terms of now what do I need to write yes living a story Mm. that is the unfolding of my own life so I'm always writing Mm. in memoir in my own story and then unpacking how God is Everything is formational. Everything is forming and shaping us, whether we see it that way or not. And I'm really writing about how God is using everything to form me and shape me and reshape me and reform me. Um, I think, I think in all three of the books, I'm working out the big questions of one: Where is God in the midst of suffering, and how do I live joy in the midst of a suffering world? 
1000 Gifts says that in the midst of suffering, I can trust that all is grace, all is actually a gift, all is going to be worked into being a gift. A broken way is saying, in the midst of living sacrificed and surrendered, in the midst of suffering, if I can live given, broken and given out into the world, that actually blesses me the most. The way you de-stress is to bless other people. So in the midst of suffering, if you give your life away, you actually are fulfilled. Waymakers looking at how do I live a life, a way of life that keeps me close and keeping close company with the way himself. So there is always a way through because I'm living in the way himself. So it's always about how, how are you finding a way through suffering to joy? And I think maybe that's what we're all trying to find our way through in a broken world. It's Augustine who says, no one alive has ever tried to live apart from trying to find out like, where is real joy? What does real joy? That's what we're all in pursuit of is joy. And we live in a broken world. So how do we live with the tension of wanting joy in the midst of not just brokenness, but sometimes profound heartache. I mean, here we are. Here we are in a world where bombs drop in theaters where little children are in the Ukraine. And people living normal lives, their worlds are being torn apart. And if your theology and the things you write about don't make sense in the worst places in the world, you're not writing the heart of God. Yeah, those are things that keep me up at night, Karen. Yeah. Well, your work absolutely speaks to the hardest places. There's, there's no, no doubt about that. As we speak, well, it's just been a horrible few years also in no. terms of, <laughs> yeah, there's been all so that. Yes. Yeah. But I'm thinking also specifically about Christian leaders mm. falling mm. And mm. just in the last couple of weeks, there's been another, you know, horrible revelation. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you about someone who you have, whether you wanted it or not, <laughs> or intended it or not, you have a big platform mm. and mm. you have been successful as a Christian writer, mm. but I think you've stayed, you know, healthy and holy. And mm. I wonder what are the temptations of a Christian fame and how, how do you navigate that? How do you stay with your feet firmly planted on the soil of your farm? I ache. I mean, just this morning in our family prayer circle, we have each morning just praying for leaders in the church and how our own hypocrisy and sinfulness becomes a stumbling block for seekers and sojourners on the way. And my heart breaks. I, not uh, My heart breaks for the way it's, my own brokenness and sinfulness is a stumbling block. I, I ache alongside all of those leaders who have fallen, and we are fallen. Mm. Yeah, a lot of tears in the last couple of weeks, Karen, about our own, I mean, Waymaker talks about the turn of our own hearts, our incurtis insay. We we turn inward in ways we don't even realize that we're turning inward. And when we turn inward, we become selfish. We become unwittingly 
self-focus and entitlement can slither in in ways that we don't keep ourselves in positions of accountability and transparency. I mean, Waymaker talks about my own revelation of Incorta's insight and how it turned in and I just I saw how entitlement in my own life, my own marriage, my own relationships that had creeped in in ways that and we make our talk, I think it's a James Clear analogy that he writes about in Atomic Habits that you can leave LAX just turn the nose of the plane a couple of degrees and you don't land in NYC, you land in Washington DC and as leaders, I think there's a temptation. Oh, and I say this kind of nauseated. Um, there can be a temptation that we are working for God without having the kind of profound intimacy with God. And Eugene Peterson talks so much about the need for deep congruency in our lives. We are all tempted that I'm working for God and I am, instead of having deep intimacy with God, we get caught in this trap of overactivity and productivity for God that doesn't keep us in deep communion with God. So my maker is about how do I make sure I have a way of life that keeps me in intimate communion with Christ so that I have deep congruency in my life so that the ministry flows out of intimacy, not ministry flowing out of productivity. But I also really believe ministry, ministry flows out of community because ultimately relationship is the ultimate reality. So you're not going to have any ministry apart from relationship so so it's intimacy with god himself in hidden places in places that isn't about productivity outward but your intimacy inward and then also what does what does intimacy look like what does relationship look like in community what does it look like i think sometimes oh so hard to say i feel sickened by it um in all of our own ways, we can find ourselves in places where we are surrounded by yes people instead of no people. And if we are surrounded only by people who yes, 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 we're not living in transparency or congruency or accountability. So for me, what that looks like, and only within the last year, has that looked like, um, being part of a confessional, a covenantal confessional community of six other women. So there's seven of us and many in positions of, oh, I mean, I say significant leadership, but in the upside down kingdom, that should look like significant service. Um, but just other women who also are walking a similar unexpected yeah. journey. And that looks like us us being profoundly transparent with each other and holding each other accountable and also feeling deeply safe to say the things we feel ashamed of and to say there's no shame here and where how do we come alongside you and cross the lies of the enemy in your own head how do we come alongside you and 
and walk with you. Um, so I think ministry that is healthy and whole, that looks holy like Christ himself, who is the triune God, a God of relationship. Our ministry has to be rooted deeply in relationship, a relationship of integrity and congruency with Christ himself and relationship community with Christ's people in honest ways. Mm. And I really believe the way of Jesus is the way of downward mobility. The way of Jesus is to go down through, deeper, deeper through the waves, go lower. We should be dead to all ladders. Go down lower. So that really looks like, (laughs) I say here all the time, we wash our own bowls here, which means, that sounds sort of crass. I don't mean it crass, but there's good soul work to washing your own toilet bowl that you have dirt underneath your fingernails that we, there is nothing above us. We go lower. So for me here on the farm, that means we do everything just us. <laughs> and I think it's, it's a grace and a gift, Karen, as humans. I mean, the word human comes from the word humus, soil, earth. We need to stay with earth underneath our fingernails, dirt underneath our fingernails, close to the earth. And we remember who we are but dust, and he is the only one who is God. So the closer you can stay to the earth and away from being elevated on any platform, that's the way of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wonderful answer. And I mean, we can all in our own lives take inspiration from that, right? The intimacy of community, people to be honest with, people to gather with, and uh, the, the, you know, a, a shame-free zone. So I think. Yeah, we, so we all need that. We all need, and it doesn't, we all need it to be our way of life, that this is, these aren't one-off experiences, but for what is the rhythm and the way you stay in community, and for us that we have a yes or regular text thread that's happening all day, every day. And then a Voxer thread. But also we have three hours a month where we are all face to face. We all say we will never be in ministry or do life period without being in that kind of covenantal confessional community. Yeah. All the leaders that have fallen. And as I think a lot, Karen, about what happens after you fall. What is the way, I'm always trying to figure out, what's the way forward? What is the way forward for people who have fallen? I think they need to know we are all fallen, and it is never too late to turn. We all get to turn over. I mean, Waymaker talks about. Yeah. All of life turns on the turn, and we all get to turn. And Waymaker talks about the prodigal, and you don't have to go. I always thought you had to go the whole way back. The turn meant I turn around and then I go all the way back. But our way making prodigal, lavish, loving father, he comes the whole way. He takes the shame, pulls up his rope and comes the whole way for us. All we have to do to turn is just turn our eyes. That's it. That's the only thing we have to do is turn our eyes upon Jesus. And I true, I mean, Waymaker tells how I, oh, turned all the wrong ways. Our God, who is the word, restores us and restores us, no matter what our turns have looked like. So I pray that all of us as believers need to find spaces where where it's like Jesus. 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No shame, we are covered in Christ. Yes, there are consequences, but no condemnation. Life is the art of the turn. Was one of Life the is, quotes I wrote down from the playmaker. Yeah. On everything, mm-hmm. all of our relationships, people are making turns towards us. Are we making turns towards them so that we actually get to connect? And am I turning to God? And I think sometimes, you know, can we, we think if I spend time with him in the morning, I'm good for the rest of the day. We're turning all of the time. What do I, what do my turns look like? Do I turn to screens? What do I turn to escape from pain? What do I turn to for comfort? If I, a walk, walking a life of faith is about depending upon God, trusting God, that ultimately is attachment to God, which means we are attached to whomever we keep turning towards. We have to keep turning all day long. And thank you so much. Thank you. I know I, they, they told me 30 minutes and it was I such a good conversation. Those up. <laughs> no, it was so thoughtful, thoughtful. Maybe the best interview I've had, Karen, really, oh. no, really thoughtful, heartfelt questions that aren't veneer, but questions that really are formational and about deep roots and real fruit. So thank you for taking the time to really engage in a way that that excavates where we all are at truly where we all are at and we're all in a very we're in a very tender place we are all in very very tender places and there is a way through as we have a way of life that keeps us in the way himself yeah yeah well thank you for being a reminder of that Anne, Mm -hmm. with your work Well, little loaves and fishes, that's all we have. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.